Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast and I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Rebecca Norman who works at the University of Strathclyde Law School as the Honours Year Course Administrator. Rebecca graduated from the same university with a history degree while she also acquired a master's degree from Central Michigan University in the United States where she lived for nearly three years. Now, if I tell you that her maiden name is Cuddyhate, most of you will now be able to figure out that she is my daughter, that uh, many of you have heard about, the voracious reader out of my three children. Rebecca, thanks for joining us on the Read All About It podcast. Yep, it's good to be back. <laughs> now, I'm just going to set the scene for people before we start chatting about your, your books, and we're actually doing this podcast interview <laughs> in my reading room in the house. Now, this is a room that's got my books, it's got my guitars. And what happened was when you moved out into your, your own flat, uh, we redecorated the room and turned it from your bedroom into my reading room. So it was a kind of just way of us telling you that yeah, you're not coming back. <laughs> oh, it was within a matter of days, so I, I got the message. <laughs> um, so also, I know you've been listening to the podcasts and you know people know that you are the, the voracious reader, but... You know, not only has your cousin been on the podcast before you, but also your your younger brother as well, and he doesn't even read books. (laughs) But we're looking forward to your choices. And when I was talking to Andrew and obviously asking him, you know, he's never really read books and asking him why. And why do you think is that out of the three of you, you've you've been the one that has really, you know, right from a really early age, has really engaged with books and, and has just kept up that reading habit? I don't know. I mean, I think it's just something that you do either have it or you don't. Or also, I think for a lot of people, they've just not found something that's really interested them. Because I think there's definitely something for everyone that they they would find exciting reading. And I guess I must have just found that much younger, maybe. I don't know. Because I said to when I said to Andrew, I always remember days when it was really cold and wet and miserable, and, and him and Louise would always want to go out and play, but you were quite happy just to, to stay in the house <laughs> with a book. Tragic. <laughs> I don't think, and I don't think anybody was listening would think that, but you know, that's, that was your, your way of, of mm. enjoying the day. They were just happy to jump about outside. Mm-hmm. I suppose, as you say, it's just something that you're... Yeah, I think, I think you've either, well, you either find it from a young age or when you're older. I guess it's more difficult when you get older. Because you might just automatically associate it with school or something, maybe. And, you know, I read this really boring book in school. I'm not interested in reading because that's not cool or something. No, for the the benefit of this podcast, obviously, (laughs) the five questions, and it's taking you through your sort of literary life, as it were. Mm -hmm. And I'm always really interested in in your choices because obviously then I can think back and and say, are you telling the truth? Or (laughs) do I remember you reading this? But, I mean, no surprises at all. When you tell me what your favourite book from childhood is. Yes, so just in general, the Harry Potter series. And I was a bit reluctant to pick that at first because um, last week's guest also had that as his favourite um, childhood book. Who just happens to be your younger cousin. Yeah. Thomas, 
couldn't really I couldn't really think of there was nothing else that came to mind that had that much of a, a lasting impact. I actually remember, and it would have been in here, and we read it together, maybe me, you and Andrew, up until whatever chapter when Snape comes into it. And then for whatever reason, I don't know if you got fed up, and we just stopped reading it together, and then I just started reading them myself. Yeah, I just remember being obsessed with it and knowing absolutely <laughs> every detail. I mean, what was the book? We went to... America in mm. 2003 and there was one of the Harry Potter books was due that summer so we had ordered it and it was due to arrive while mm-hmm. we were away but you couldn't wait until we get home <laughs> to read it so actually the first date was published in the United States we went to a bookshop got got your copy yeah. and you'd read it even before you got home to get your, your English version I, I can't remember which one I think it might have been The Goblet of Fire the fourth one actually because they have different covers in the States yeah. they had different um different illustrations on it but yeah I do remember that and I also remember being on holiday in Greece or something I can't remember where we would have went I remember reading the second book The Chamber of Secrets and just being totally terrified but I was up reading myself so I was just (laughs) lying under the covers just scared because I think that when we went to America, when we went into the bookshop I think that was for me it was the first time you really get a sense of the scale of how big the Harry Potter phenomenon was because you know you're just in a, a bookshop in some mall in Orlando and there was just hundreds and hundreds of American kids as obsessed as you were. Well I mean we even went to um, Florida in the summer and going to the Universal Studios and they've got whole theme parks dedicated to it and I always wonder and you see people cutting about with the robes and all that and I'm thinking I wonder how many people have actually read the books or just watch the films. But you wonder, I, everybody who's read the books will probably have watched the films as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I have the feeling that maybe a lot of people who watch the films might have gone back mm-hmm. and, and read some of the books as well. I think that would be quite difficult because the first couple of them, I think the first, second and third one are, well, definitely for younger readers. Like They're a bit more light-hearted and not as serious because I think they're about 11 or 12 in the first book. So I think that would be quite difficult as an adult if you watched the films and then you tried to go back and read them. I don't know if it would keep your attention as much. Because then when, I think from book four onwards, that's when it starts to get a bit more serious. Do you know that there's a, there is a sport now of Quidditch? And, I, I do and actually a, know and someone a, that plays it. There's a Quidditch World Cup as well. Well, the Quidditch team at Central Michigan University, I'm told, are nationally ranked. So they are meant to be pretty good <laughs> as far as Quidditch so, goes. So nationally ranked in the United States. Uh-huh. Aye. I mean, it seems like quite a potentially dangerous sport as well. <laughs> but it's quite, I mean, that, that takes that phenomenon onto mm. a completely different level. Yeah. Have you gone back as an adult and read the books again, or do you see yourself going back and reading them? Given what you said about the first two or three books being certainly maybe more focused or aimed at, at younger readers. I don't think I've read them again as an adult. Definitely not the first few. I think I might have read the last couple, at least maybe late teens or something. 
I don't know if I could go back and read them again. Would you think your knowledge would still... Do you think it's got a bit rusty now? I think it has got a bit rusty, but what was interesting when listening to Thomas on last week's podcast and he was saying how he remembers being, like, you know, knowing every single detail. And I remember being like that as well. But as an adult, that's how I was with the Game of Thrones books as well. Right. Like, I knew so much and could obviously just retain that. And when we'd watch the series and be like, oh, you know, that that detail, they've missed this out, they've missed, you know, loads of things that are really important. So So I guess maybe you are just... So you're a bit obsessive when you... (laughs) I can be, yeah. Because uh-huh. I, I remember one Christmas, someone must have got me a quiz book of Harry Potter and I was just... It was well, Annie actually, it and was, they were quizzing me and I was just like... Yeah, it was at your grand's and your grand and your aunt. Because you were still, I think you were only about seven or eight and they had been reading the books. Mm-hmm. And I think they were... I don't know if they were sceptical that you, you were kind of taking it in, but they just kept firing all these questions and you were just answering them. And I think they were, <laughs> they were amazed. I mean, yeah, I was just... I don't I don't know if I... I think you don't really mean to do that, but if you're that into it, you just soak up all that yeah. all and that knowledge. Did you say the fact that you've kind of continued that now with Game of Thrones? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah I read all the, I've read all the books twice now, I think. Um, and then you just pick up different, different bits and pieces every time. Well, as I say, I wasn't surprised when you picked Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But moving on and... A book that would be in your more formative years and what was the book that you, you chose for this one? So it's Dissolution by CJ Sansom so the reason I actually chose this one well he's one of my favourite authors um, so the book is the first in a series of seven so it's it's a historical kind of thriller about a, a hunchback lawyer set in the 16th century and the reason I chose it is because I hated it at first <laughs> And it took me about maybe three or four times to actually read it. Did you just keep giving up? Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I kept trying to persevere with it because I remember I'd done advanced higher English, and a girl in my class had done her kind of final project on the first three books, and I thought, oh, the front cover is really cool. I should try and read that because it was like the kind of gothic, typical historical thriller type font and all that. And I tried to read it and I was like, oh, this is so boring. Because it's set around the dissolution of the monasteries in England. So it's maybe not initially exciting. And so the first time I tried to read it, I thought, oh, this is crap. Put it put it away. For some reason, decided to go back to it again. Again, I was like, oh, I just can't read this. And it must have been the third or fourth time. And then I read the whole thing and I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's just... And all his books are like that. You, it, it's all kind of set around someone gets murdered or, you know, the lawyer's working with the court in some way and, and you can just never guess how it's going to end. I think there's seven books in the series now. Mm-hmm. And given what you'd said about, obviously, the Harry Potter and then Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. has this become your new book of obsession? Well, yes, but it's also frustrating because the latest one only came out about maybe eight or nine months ago and I think it was a number of years between them so it's going to be quite a while until the next one because one of the things when I was I think I've, I've read this one I don't, I've never, not mm-hmm. going to read any of the other ones but it's set at the time when with Thomas Cromwell down in England and that obviously he's become more famous 
in terms of books through Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall trilogy. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, this book came out about five or six years beforehand, obviously the same mm-hmm. period, a totally different thing, but he predates Wolf Hall and, and obviously the phenomenal success of those books. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't really feature, well, he does feature in the first, I think the first two books, or at least certainly that one. He's obviously not the main kind of figure, but it's set around his role within the court and things like that. And I think as time has gone on, that period has just gotten more popular. So that's probably why it's enabled CJ Sansom to keep the, the series going. You know, you've just mentioned the fact that the last book in that seven-book series of Matthew Shardlick just came out last year. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether the success of those books adds pressure to the to the author because then he knows this massive audience is waiting, but then has to make sure that the next book is up to as high standard as the previous ones. But I mean, I think that's a good thing though to keep people waiting a bit longer. I mean, Hilary Mantel must have been. I think that's about seven or eight years that. Um, between Bring Up the Bodies and the new book, which comes out next week. And I think that actually is a point that is obvious in my next choice, I think, that it's probably better to keep people waiting. Otherwise, I think you might run the risk of just churning out books every year just for the sake of it. You think it might keep people interested, but if it's not as good quality, then it's not really worth it. And I suppose mentioning... Hilary Mantel, and she's mm-hmm. won the Booker Prize for the first two books in that trilogy. And how do you, not, not necessarily a comparison, but obviously you, you love those books as well. Mm-hmm. What would you prefer, Hilary Mantel or CJ Sansom? They're totally different because, well, I think, I would say for Hilary Mantel, you do need to have an element of being interested in the actual history itself. And I just know a lot about that just through my own learning like personally CJ Sansom's ones are much more right this is you know a thriller we've got somebody on the loose and you know there's bad guys and a chase and fighting and swords and all that so it is more of like an action and adventure but Hilary Mantel's more right this is the intrigue of the court and it's obviously based a lot on a lot of research and you're looking forward to the to the new one coming out Yes, uh-huh. Well, I just read Will Fall Again. But yeah, I think well, I think they complement each other quite well, probably, because with the Matthew Shardlake series, you do kind of need to know a bit of background, and it does help. But uh, they're totally different. It'll be interesting to see if she wins the Booker Prize for her third time. I think I mean, she will. You think so? You can't win it for the first two and then not win it for the third one. I suppose yeah. it depends on the, how good the book is. Uh, I think she'll win it. Well, you're listening to the Read All About It podcast uh, with me, Paul Cuddihy, and my guest, Rebecca Norman. Uh, Rebecca is my daughter. And Rebecca, we're on to the third question, and that is a book that you'd recommend to anyone. So my choice for this was Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Probably not one that I ever thought I would recommend to anyone. I first read it about two years ago um, when I was living in Georgia and I was unemployed and very bored, so I read a lot of books. But I think, I mean, it completely 
threw me off. It wasn't what I thought at all, I think, because obviously there's been, you know, films and stuff made, Frankenstein's The Monster, and I just wasn't expecting it at all. What I found interesting, again, when I was just doing a wee bit of research into it, was it was published in 1818, but she Mm -hmm. was only 20 Mm -hmm. when she wrote that, which, you know, is remarkable in itself, but the fact it's kind of stood the test of time. I, I mean, I don't know if that is because partly because of her life because I know she ran away with a married man and when she was like 16 and then you know wrote this amazing book and there's been loads of different adaptations and it's been studied and I think I just kind of thought I knew what it was about and would you think people would be surprised given how the idea of Frankenstein Frankenstein's monster as you say is it's totally embedded into popular culture, mm-hmm. but everybody's probably got the exact same image of what they think of Frankenstein. And if they actually read the book, it would, as you say, it would be completely different to what their expectations are. Well, I mean, I didn't even know that Frankenstein wasn't the monster. Like, I just, I think you do just assume that that is his name, but you never, he never even has a name. Frankenstein's the scientist, mm. but yeah, it just it, it totally threw me off. You just get so much more of the monster, his perspective and his thoughts and his feelings and, and you know, films or whatever that I've kind of seen bits and pieces of and he's just this, you know, he can't speak and he's just grunting and groaning and he brings him to life and, and that's kind of it. But he's actually very smart, which <laughs> I didn't expect. Because one of the things, and I've said this a few times, depending on people's choices... Again, it, you know, I'd mentioned it was published in 1818. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's amazing that you, you can be reading a book 200 years later and it still captivates you, it still resonates with you the way it did 200 years ago when people first read it. Yeah, that's kind of well, that's kind of what I thought at the time as well when I was sitting on an army base in Georgia reading this novel from 1818 and still sitting there being like, oh my God, this I can't believe this is happening and... This has existed for 200 years and I've never actually read it until now. What made you pick it up? Did you just find it at the bookshop or was it just, you know, because obviously if it's not something you, you would normally have, have sort of gravitated towards? Uh, well, I used to be, well, I was, I was unemployed so I was quite I'm bored quite a lot and I used to go to Barnes & Noble and they would always have like two for $10 and it was always the classics. Um, so I ended up reading, well, I read that and I read Wuthering Heights and um, I ended up reading quite a few things. So yeah, there was no real reason around it, well, it was in the deal, but you know, I was I was so glad that I read it, it just, it just totally shocked me. And again, it's just not, it's not how it's been portrayed in, in films and in popular culture. Do you think as well... You know, when you see in bookshops here, people maybe shy away from them sometimes because they they think they're you know whether they they're intimidated by them. But actually, there's loads of books that people would probably enjoy more if they just took that chance. Yeah, I think there's probably an element of this is old, it's boring. Like I think that's probably what a lot of people think. But I tend not to really read many like contemporary books. I suppose. I prefer things that are like historical thrillers or fiction classics and I think, well, Wuthering Heights as well is another one that is just not, it just wasn't what I thought at all. But yeah, I think there's an element of, oh, it's probably going to be boring. 
I suppose it's the, once you go over, because sometimes you do have to, either the style mm. of the writing or sometimes the language, because it's of its time in terms of language, but once you get past that, so, sometimes you can unearth some really brilliant books, which is why they're still being read 200 years later. Definitely. Yeah, I think you just need to give it a chance sometimes. And I, I mean, I think that's why a lot of shops will do like the classics but have like really nice covers or you know, something unusual, obviously to try and get people's attention. But yeah, I think if they just give it a chance. And is that a book you you see yourself rereading as well? I think so, yeah. I think I probably would. Because some of it is quite... Like, both characters spend a lot of time while they're kind of hunting each other at various points, and they do spend a lot of time, like, in the mountains and on these landscapes, and sometimes it is quite difficult to get through those bits because it's so descriptive because I think she was in Geneva when she either thought of it or when she wrote it so that's and that's where it's mostly set so I mean it was quite difficult at points but yeah if you can (laughs) get through those bits I think I would read it again before you do uh, you can let me borrow it (laughs) okay I did bring it it with me it's one of the ones I brought with me okay right well you can leave it when you go back (laughs) So we go, we take uh, a step away from a book you would recommend to anyone and it's a book that you couldn't be paid to read again. And yeah. I think this is a book that I actually <laughs> sent out to you, you in America. You did. It's taking you all this time to tell me. <laughs> um, so it was The Blade Artist by uh, Irvin Welsh. Um, so you did send it, uh, you sent you sent the whole, the whole series over and I, I did read them all but... That one especially, and I actually don't read books very often that I don't like, because if it doesn't grip me in the first kind of chapter or something, I, I, I'm just not going to bother reading it. But I did read this one, because also it's quite short. Yeah, so it's about, it's it's basically Begbie from Trainspotting, so it's his, you know, what happens to him when they get, I think, I think he's probably in his 50s in this book. So he goes to America becomes this great kind of modern contemporary artist and has to come back to Glasgow um, or Edinburgh, sorry, because something happens with one of his kids and it was just so different from how Irvin Welsh had spent like three or four books building up his character that in this last book he was just a totally different person. Just completely, you know, he's living in America, he's got this beautiful wife, two beautiful kids that he loves he doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't take drugs, he just makes his art lives on the beach I was like where did this come from? <laughs> totally There'd different. be no hint to that in any of the previous books? No because he, he slowly kind of stops appearing in the other books he's Was that, that what really the, threw you? Yeah he's like the least likely to have a quiet life and and settle down I just, I just didn't it just wasn't believable I just couldn't see the character doing that. And he come, when he comes back to Edinburgh, and like he's obviously kind of provoked, and you know various things happen with like his kids that he's got in Edinburgh, and you kind of see bits of the old, the old Begbie coming back. But then he's still got this wife and kids in America, and they think he's a saint, and it just didn't, it just didn't work, mm. didn't work at all. How did you on with the other books? Well, Trainspotting was really good. Skag Boys, is that the prequel? 
I'm not sure. Train spotting's actually I've the only not read any of them. the only Irvin book I've read. I'm kind of conflicted about. Sometimes I get just get the feeling I might be completely wrong, but a lot of times things are written and put out just this kind of shock element as opposed to. Well, that well, that's what this is. So I was saying about um, when authors write like amazing books and then they leave you waiting mm-hmm. years for the next one. I feel like he's just done the opposite of that. Right. He's just kind of chummed it. Uh huh. He's just brought out all these books and yeah. So Train Spotting was good, and then well, I think that's also partly because of the film. You kind of you already have an idea, you know, that it's going to be good. The third one, Porno, definitely has. I, I just felt like this is just trying to get a reaction, mm-hmm. shock value, because. Just for me, it was a lot of it was just far too too graphic. And see, in terms of the train spotting to the film, mm-hmm. did he take elements from the different books for that, or did they, was that just a completely random story? I think he took some elements from porno. I think no, I can't even remember. I'm getting mixed up with which ones are which, but it didn't follow. It didn't follow the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that. I think well, train spotting was good, but the rest I I don't think I wouldn't recommend any of them to be honest. <laughs> and and did, you, did you bring it home or is it, is it languishing no, somewhere in America? The, no, they're all in the, the bookcase. <laughs> no, I brought I did bring all the ones that you sent me. I brought them all back. I think you'd foolishly said you'd enjoyed train spotting, and then no, I don't think I'd read it. Oh, I don't. I think I, I said. Oh, you just said you hadn't read any. I, of them. I must have said I hadn't read any of them. <clears> um, I just sent you train spotting them, but you just saw the rest <laughs> on your own. I know. But no, because I remember uh, picking up the Blade Artist out of the box and I didn't even know he'd written that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that was definitely, that was just for the money. <laughs> so he, he did it for the money and I couldn't pay you to read it again. Exactly. <laughs> Fair <yes>. enough. <laughs> We're on to the last of the questions of the podcast and it's either the book, the last book you've read or the book you're currently reading and you've Given me two choices for this. I've actually given you three choices. Three. Well, I'm kind of combining. Yeah. One because it's the first two books again with you uh, and your your serious obsessions. No, uh, well, I didn't. I don't think I was fully aware of it, but now <laughs> I'm quite conscious of it. So the first two are the Book of Dust parts one and two, Philip Pullman. So it was funny because we had just finished watching his Dark Materials on uh, BBC one or two over Christmas and I had read the first of his books Northern Lights which is what that's based on so the series was just amazing and I thought right I'll definitely need to read the books and we were in Waterstones sometime in January and it was the buy one get one half price Mm -hmm. and I seen this book and I thought that cover is just beautiful and I picked it up and it turned out to be the prequel to Northern Lights so I was like right I'll need to buy it so I got it, finished it within a week and then got the second one which again very disappointing because it's just come out and I've finished it so I'm going to have to wait quite a long time So they are, are both of those books prequels to to the other Philip Pullman books? Well, or do they kind of cross over? The first one is a prequel so it kind of it's kind of how the main character Lyra, how she ends up in Oxford. So she's just a baby in this book. The second one is some years after the end 
of the third book in right. that trilogy. So she's maybe in her 20s. And it just, yeah, it just totally sucked me in. And I finished both of them within about three weeks, I think. And had you, you know, you'd said you'd read Northern Lights. Did you read the that trilogy? No, no. I had only read the first one. And I'd, I don't even know when that would have been. Well over ten years ago. But yeah, it's just that kind of... It, it's kind I mean, I guess it's kind of similar to the C.J. Sansom series in that it's a thriller and kind of, you know, there's bad guys and someone gets killed and they've got all this mystery, but it's more fantasy, I guess. So are you going to go and read the other two? I will, yeah. Mm-hmm. I took a break to read something different, but... Uh, no, they were both amazing. Although, what slightly bugs me is that <laughs> if you go into a bookshop, they're actually in like the young adult section, which I would guess is for people who are like 14. <laughs> <coughs> You're a young adult. <laughs> but I suppose it's... Do you not remember when the Harry Potter books came out and they had covers that were specifically targeted for that younger audience, but mm-hmm. then they, they also brought them out kind of slightly older adult covers that so they, they got that adult readership and people didn't feel like they were buying a kid's book I mean I think that's that is what they've kind of done with this because the covers they're both like they are both really nice but I guess you could get away with either um, and, and they are some some bits in it they are quite violent and with much more adult themes Do you find that when you're in the bookshop that the Often it's the colour that catches your eye. Mm, well, sometimes, but it, it's difficult with like kind of historical fiction because they all seem to have the same. They do have the same theme. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the gothic font, and they've all seem to have kind of similar titles. So that does always kind of catch my attention because I know I will like it, and I, I only really read books that <laughs> I know I'm going to like. Yeah. Um, but that the Book of Dust, the, the cover on that is definitely what, what caught my eye. Because I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a sucker for, you know, books that have the, the coloured edge to the paper. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't always buy those books, but I will always pick them up yeah. because I just think they look absolutely stunning. Well, it looks like someone's put a lot more time and effort yeah. into it and yeah. trying to make it actually look look nice for someone else. Yeah, that's my <coughs> that's one of my ambitions. <laughs> if and when I publish another book that the publisher will put the, the coloured edge. What colour? I don't know, it would depend. It <laughs> would have to reflect on the, the actual cover design. Yeah. But I, I, I think any colour would I'd be happy with. It's so, writing goals. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Before that, I still have to write the book. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, there was another book that you mentioned as well that you're. Is this a book that you're currently reading just now? I actually just finished it last night. So, um, so that choice was "You" by Caroline Kepnes. So I've actually read this because I watched the Netflix series. So and I, I actually thought about it the other day, and I thought normally it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. You read the book first, yeah. and then you watch the series. So, I mean, some, some people listening might have already seen it. Um, so it's set in New York and it's a character called Joe who works in a bookshop 
actually. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Uh, so he works in a bookshop and this girl comes in one day and he just becomes obsessed with her. Like, completely obsessed. And it's all from his point of view. So he obviously starts stalking her, reads her emails, reads her texts, follows her wherever she goes, kind of like ends up going out with her although she's not aware that he's been doing all of this mm. um, so it's just about his obsession and it's not something I would normally have chosen to read so it is very different from the other choices but oh, it, was, it was actually scary because he is totally psycho Is the Netflix series based on the book or is the book as a result of the No, Netflix? the Netflix series is based on the book and it, it does actually stick to it quite closely, uh, to be fair. And when I watched the series, I thought, right, this guy's a psycho. But when you read the book and you're inside his head, like from the first page, it's actually scary. Because one of the things when you were saying there about how the the book or Netflix series sticks really closely to the book, and I, I've told people a story before about when you and I went to see Jodie Piku. Mm. And... I don't think it wasn't My Sister's Keeper was the book, but I always remember you being absolutely... No, right. it was, it was, was My it, Sister's right? Keeper. Still not got over that. absolutely raging when they brought the film out and they changed the ending. And the ending is just... Well, it was, it, I was so annoyed because, I mean, I read, I read hundreds of her books and the whole point of her books is that there's always a massive twist at the end and you never see it coming and... You know, you're always just shocked. So I just expected that at the end of the film and they changed it. I'm like, that's... Because <laughs> I actually read the book after that, at some point after that, because obviously you were so annoyed that, yeah. that they had done that. And then when you read the, the book, and then you just don't... I don't understand why. But it was interesting when we went to see her and I think she was asked about that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think she had tried to say, don't change the ending. And eventually to the point where I think they banned her from the film lot. And then when the, when the film comes out, it absolutely bombed. Mm-hmm. And it means subsequently, whenever any of her books have been turned into films, they actually take account of what she's saying because she obviously knows what she's talking about. But it doesn't, it doesn't make sense anyway to completely change the pivotal bit of the book. Well, I mean, that that's what her books were known for, is this massive, dramatic you uh-huh. know, twist at the end and... And all of her books are like that, and again, like you never see it coming. And I mean, I think, I guess, when most books are turned into films, the authors will sometimes say, you know, it's nothing to do with me. Uh, you know, I, I sold the money. rights. Or, <coughs> yeah, 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 but she obviously tried. Yeah, because so obviously, I think most writers would accept that once somebody's bought the rights to the film, mm-hmm. then that's a different thing but I think people would still think why would you don't change you can leave things out because you can't film everything but don't change it so it's a different ending I know I just don't know why you, you think you'll ever get over that I don't think so no that's <laughs> <laughs> a long time now <laughs> well over 10 years because <laughs> I was going to just ask finally that you know with things like Netflix and there's so much TV that you can watch and you know get caught up in box sets and mm-hmm. series etc. Is it more important then, or do you find having to consciously set aside time to read because of all these other like demands of like the next episode of a 
a series? No, because I well I watch things similar to how I read in that I don't really <laughs> don't really listen to people's recommendations. Right. So <clears throat> when people watch stuff, sometimes it just puts me off and I, I won't watch it. So I, I'm quite selective with what I watch, and the same with what I read. Um, but no, I read on the bus. And then at lunchtime, half my lunchtime, I'll read and on the bus home. And then if it's really good, I'll read when I get home. But no, I, I'm quite selective in what I watch, so... <laughs> the books always come first anyway. Yeah, I think so. Good, yeah. good. Well, me and your mum will take credit for, <laughs> for encouraging <laughs> that, in you? And just if anybody's uh, interested in any of the books that rec- uh, Rebecca's recommended... There'll be a list of them. It's on my website. Each of the podcast guests have got their own individual page. So you can check out each of their selections. It's www.paulcuddyhay.com. But for now, Rebecca, one last thing. This podcast episode will begin out on March the 23rd, which is just a couple of days before your birthday. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of my way of saying that it's a happy birthday. This is your birthday present. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> you have to rely on your mum to get you a present. <laughs> But as I've told in just about every episode about how that you're out of the three, you you are the reader. So I think it was only fair that you got a chance to come on the Reader Olympic podcast. <laughs> but thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you've thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.